Can't make it to every NHL arena? Now here's the long and the short of it. We've got you covered with our own rink rat. I'm sure this will be a real bonding experience. Sirius XM's Rob Brinder brings you Rinkside on Lightning Power Play. All right, get out on the ice. Let me see what you can do. Welcome, everybody, to the Rink Rat Show. I'm Rob Brender. We are approximately two-thirds of the way through the NHL season as teams jockey for playoff position and gear up to make a big push to the finish line. The trade deadline is on the horizon, which will supply some of those teams with an opportunity to improve themselves from outside sources one last time. It'll also give teams with no postseason aspirations a chance to load up with draft picks and prospects to enhance their future hopes. One thing is certain, with the competitive balance that we have in the league again this season, one big move, one roster tweak could be the difference between making the playoffs or going home prematurely. Who might be on the move? Which teams have the best chances to land them? Joining us to go deeper into the deadline and go around the league to take a look at what is to come as we approach playoff time is the host of Sirius XM NHL Network Radio's Under Review. It's the great Mick Kern. Mick, how are you, my friend? Well, I wouldn't go great, but it's good to be with you. <laughs> no, you're fantastic. You do such a tremendous job. And you can hear Mick. He hosts alongside Peter Burst. Peter, of course, also runs Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, as far as I know. Now, Mick, you might want to clear that up. He might not be the biggest of the big bosses, but I know he's certainly right near the top, and he hosts with you on that show. You do it uh, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock Pacific time, which is 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock Eastern time, and that's on Channel 91 for the folks that have Sirius XM. Uh, tune in because it is a tremendous channel if you want all things NHL. So I took this interview from the start, Mick, from the perspective of the trade deadline. We're obviously going to branch off and talk about a number of different things. But with the trade deadline just a couple of weeks away now, teams that are right in the middle of that push, as I said, are looking to make big changes, maybe even some little tweaks to get them over the top. And we saw one move occur earlier this week with the Pittsburgh Penguins, who to me have been one of the great stories in the league this year, overcoming so many injuries, not just to little players on their team, the fourth line center. We're talking about Sidney Crosby's of the world, Evgeny Malkin's of the world going down with injuries, and yet they're in playoff position in a tremendous spot. They go out and make a deal with Minnesota to acquire Jason Zucker. Alex Galchenyuk gets traded for the 100th time, I think, in the last three years, goes back in that deal along with Kalen Addison in a first-round pick. Did you like that move for Pittsburgh? Yeah, I did. I really like how Jim Rutherford runs the Pens. He knows with Crosby and Malkin, two absolute future Hall of Famers. I mean, you put them in now. They're winners. Everything they do, they, they've been winners. And But they're also getting a little uh, log in the tooth. They're still fantastic players. Injuries take it their toll. That your window to win the Stanley Cup when you've got two dynamic centers. Most teams would like to have one. You go for it. He's got two good goaltenders. We'll see uh, how, how the young guy uh, pans up. But Matt Murray's a proven uh, Stanley Cup winning goaltender. So your window is now. You're, you're creeping up on the Washington Capitals. And, and they, I think they still have three games to play each, uh, each other left in this season before we even get to the playoffs. And they've been injured. Uh, Jake Genso, all those guys have been out. So you have to get a guy like Zucker because he fits in very nicely. So that trade is about now for Minnesota. It's about the future. Galchenyuk is sort of a throw-in to me. He, you know, he had that 30-goal season in Montreal about four years ago, and he looked like they didn't know him as a center or a wing. I think most people think he's a winger. He, for third overall in 2012, he has been, frankly, a disappointment. He's got the, the second-most points from that draft class. It's not the greatest draft class unless you're a goaltender. Then it was a really outstanding draft class. Um, there's the first rounder that could be this year or next year if the Penguins don't make the playoffs. Rutherford's got that option. 
and and a prospect that a lot of people like. So I think it serves uh, I think it serves both teams. I don't like coming up with a winner right away because I want to see who they draft. But I think it serves the immediacy for the Penguins, and it serves sort of the future for Minnesota, who I don't think are going to make the playoffs. I think they're a bubble team that are just going to miss. And um, I'm curious, and I'm sure you are now, okay, someone's made a move, not a huge move, but a notable move. What are the uh, what are the mirror moves made by other teams? Does Chris, where does Chris Kreider go? Where's Tyler Toffoli go? Guys like that. Yeah, and that brings up an interesting point. When it comes to the the trade deadline, obviously you're going to see a lot of different people moved, and now it does put you know one less guy out there and several teams that want pieces. And it takes me back, actually, Mick, to about a month and a half ago when the New Jersey Devils made the trade of Taylor Hall. Maybe it's a little longer than that now. I'm losing track of time. But about a month and a half, two months ago, they wound up trading Taylor Hall. He was clearly going to be the biggest name that was going to get moved, whether it was at the deadline or when he ultimately wound up being moved uh, by the Devils to Arizona. Would they have been better off suited holding on to him for a little while longer, just a few more weeks, a few more months, seeing these other names go off the board. It's one less team now that needs somebody, but you have fewer guys that are available. You just create more of a market for yourself. Would they have been better off holding on to him just, again, for a little while longer? Maybe. Uh, and I can't remember the young man saying it off in the 67, the defense who played well for yeah, Ball, Canada. Kevin, uh, Kevin Ball. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they really like him. So again, it's like, well, I, I, I like what I can get here. And sometimes it's just to sort of change up the culture, though they made that trade. Then I think changed the coach, then changed the GM. The Devils did it you know, backwards for some bizarre reason. So maybe yes, but at the time, maybe, maybe that's to change up uh, chemistry and atmosphere. We are not in the dressing room. And when you and I have done that job, we're in the dressing room when they're on their best behavior. We're not part of the team. So we don't always see everything. You hear things, things leak out. I think that may have been more the case. They just wanted to get rid of a headache that was hanging over the team. But, yeah, if you can hold on to your cards real close, it's a game of brinksmanship. But I think you can have you, you can have certainly more suitors because look what happened with the Rangers are doing with, with, uh, with a Chris Kreider, who most people uh, think is the guy at the trade deadline. 28 years old. He's making 4.625. No, I don't memorize that. I had to look it up. <laughs> he's got 11-team, no trade list. He's, he's a good player. He's a great player. He's a good player. And he would be a nice fit. And Boston keeps coming up. Pittsburgh came up for a while. And the Rangers have talked. They've talked about talking contract with him. And then they go back to maybe they'll trade him. And I think in this case, someone's going to panic. Brian Burke says that, who now works at Rogers Sportsman, who's done everything in hockey. He says this is when GMs make stupid mistakes at this time of year, and somebody's going to overpay for somebody. So, yes, it could have been Hall, but um, they got what they wanted. And then if you're the Devils, I guess you just have to look at it that way. Yeah, understood. And, and obviously they have some other pieces, too, who might be on the move here prior to the deadline. It's a team that's clearly well out of play all position. Kyle Palmieri is another interesting name as a winger yeah. who can put the puck in the net. I wonder... I'd heard a rumor, and we're talking to Mick Kern, host of SiriusXM NHL Network Radio's Under Review alongside Peter Burst. Does a great job there. When it comes to Paul Mary, the latest rumor that I heard was that the New York Islanders have a lot of interest, and mm-hmm. we know that they certainly need offense. If the Devils have this new management team, which they do in place right now, I wonder how concerned Tom Fitzgerald is about jumping in and dealing a guy who is sort of the fan favorite now, right? He's a New Jersey kid. He's been there for a few years, puts the puck in the net 30 plus times a season. He's a nice player that has some term left on his contract. I wonder if he would fear trading him to a rival right across the city. Yes. Traditionally, hockey is a small C conservative sport. They don't do that. If I was running it, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care, and no offense to the fans, but you'll love me when I make this team better. 
You fall in love with players, and, and we have to trade them. Look at the – talk about another devil, P.K. Subban and the Shea Weber trade. Now, Weber's injured right now, but Montreal won that trade. Yes, uh, Nashville got to the Stanley Cup final with, with Subban, but Weber has been the better player. And at the time, there was a hue and cry about Subban going. My, my own kid was almost in tears about it. And I remember trying to take a more dispassionate look at it, and I said to my kid, Alex, because that's his name, I said, uh, I think Montreal did all right in this trade. Yeah, there's money issues, but I don't care about that. I'm a fan. I think the same thing with someone like Paul Mary. Fitzgerald has to, what is good for the team now? And we're not going to the playoffs. We are a disappointing team. I wasn't sure they were a playoff team. I think they would knock on the door, but they're nowhere near it. Uh, I got one year left in this contract. It's pretty friendly. He's a good player, but if I can get something for him. Same thing with Montreal. Kovachuk's come in. They got him for 700000 It's like an up-the-scrap heap in the NHL. For you and me, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But for, every, for the NHL, that's that's... That's a pocket change. And they got him for nothing. Bring him in, see if he can rejuvenate his career, which he has done. He's not a point-per-game guy, but he's pretty close. And and he lo- he loves it there. The fans love him. He loves the team. That's all great. But when Montreal's good again, say, in two, three years, they've got some nice pieces, as we say, the cliche. He's not going to be a part of it. So if I can move Kovalchuk as close as he's become with the fans and all that looks great in the blue blonde rouge, if I can move him for a second-rounder and something else – that's a gift because I picked them off the scrap heap. I think the Devils have to look at it the same way, and I know they do. That's how you run a team. You cannot fall in love with your players. If you remember the great, the late great Bill Torrey, GM of the Islanders, mm-hmm. all those years, he said one problem is he fell in love with his players. He did not dismantle the early, the mid-80s Islanders quick enough, and it cost them. At least they had the four cups behind him, though. So that, that helps a you little bit. Really. That, that really cushions the blow. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly does. Uh, we're talking to Big Kurt, host of Sirius XM NHL Network Radio's under review. When it comes to Kovalchuk, by the way, fascinating because obviously they give him the big long-term, was a three-year contract, I believe, with the LA Kings, and clearly it did not work out to the point where they kept him away from the team this year. They didn't want anything yeah. to do with him near their team. Yeah, I think they let him get on the ice maybe at practice at some point, but at one point before they ultimately wound up releasing him, they said, stay away. Well, I don't know if you know any more than I do about this. And I've tried to ask some people with the Kings what's going on there. He's worked out now in Montreal, so there's a nice mix. He likes it there. What in the world happened in L.A. where there was such a huge disconnect? Yeah, again, I, you probably heard more than I have. And again, we don't, we're not in the room. We don't understand the chemistry. The coach didn't really want him. I don't. A lot of times that happens. Okay, thanks. I don't really need him. It's not going to work into my structure, which is why the best teams have that communication open between the coaching staff and the director of hockey operations slash GM. You have to do that. You, you can't run it like a, like a fantasy or a team or a stratomatic team. You have to keep the coach involved. And then they didn't use him. Look, he doesn't have the speed he used to have. And that happens to anybody. Heck, it happens to me when I got to my late 30s. And I wasn't a, a prime athlete. And he was. He was just a gifted goal scorer, mostly, of course, with the Thrashers. And then even with, with New Jersey, helped him get to the final that year. But he doesn't have that speed. But he still thinks the game, and he's got an awesome shot. He's creative. So if you use him in the right situation, then then you're going to get something from him. Montreal put him in the right situation. Look, Montreal was desperate enough. They need someone to score some goals. They couldn't miss. They couldn't miss, hey, we're going to take a chance. What's going to happen? It doesn't work out for 700000 Whatever. We'll sell a few more T-shirts. Mm. They used him in such a way. I was actually surprised when the Kings signed him for three years. I thought three years was too long. I know a number of teams, including Montreal, kicked the tires on him, and the Kings dove in. I remember thinking at the time for a rebuilding Kings team, even though they don't want to admit it, that was a bad signing. It was, it was, it was a 
bad partnership. It wasn't going to work out. I didn't know it was not going to work out to the degree that it did. So what I, what I've heard is coach didn't want him there. Hmm. He just didn't fit in. They couldn't find a place for him. And after a while that just turned sour. And sometimes it's just better to, you know, go your separate ways, which is exactly what happened. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see if they spin him maybe to the Bruins. The Bruins were reportedly one of those teams that were linked to him prior to the time when he signed with Montreal. And as you said earlier, they're looking for some additional depth scoring. There was some talk that maybe, I think at the time, he wouldn't fit in necessarily in a quote-unquote depth role. I wonder if a team that looks to acquire him is willing to put him in that spot because right now with Montreal, he's kind of playing a much bigger role than he probably would with a team like Boston. And then again, um, he says he's matured, and hopefully we all do, but you're getting a little taste. You certainly get the attention of Montreal where it's like it's like the Yankees or the Cowboys, or the Lakers. It is the game. Uh, maybe only Toronto is the same way. Any of the Canadian cities. Most American cities, again, as much as you love hockey, there's another sport that's more important in almost every market. Even the even the Vikings in Minneapolis-St. Paul. That's not the case in a city like Montreal. It's, it's 13 months of hockey. And he has taken to it. And he's been seen as a bit of a I don't say savior because they're not going to make the playoffs, but he's been certainly a part of the rejuvenation of his career and has helped put some goal scoring in. If you go then you, you, you don't be a bit player, but as you say, a role player somewhere, how do you accept that role? And Boston would be a good team. I could see that, but I also think a Crider would be a better fit in Boston. But again, if someone, Kovalchuk, this is all bonus for a team like that. If I can get if I can get a draft choice, I'll take it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, great pickup by Montreal, a team that's not going to the playoffs to be able to add somebody like that and have some value there. I want to go back, Mick, actually to the Kings really quickly because they've made one of the trades here over the last few days. They wound up moving the goaltender Jack Campbell. They moved the veteran Kyle Clifford to Toronto, a trade that I thought was just absolutely fabulous for Toronto, a team that needed goaltending help. They get it with Jack Campbell, who's very young and very skilled. Uh, they get Kyle Clifford which gives them some Stanley Cup winning experience. He has two cups under his belt. They certainly needed that. And talk about depth and a guy with some toughness that can play on their fourth line. Before we get to the Kings angle on this, what did you think of that trade for Toronto? I'd argue it already earned them three points because in the Montreal game, for the large stretches, they got outplayed. And he kept them in there long enough to get a tie. And so there's a point there on the Saturday night loss. And the game before, was it against the Ducks? I'm trying to remember. I think it was right a, home, a crazy yeah. Yeah, it was a crazy game, and no offense to Michael Hutchinson, but he just wasn't, and he comes from the same organization my kid's in, so I feel like he's family, but just, he wasn't, he wasn't consistent enough. He was, he was his road home split was weird. It, it, it was pretty good at home, and it was atrocious on the road, but pretty good at home is kind of actually even being generous to Hutchinson. It wasn't bad, but you couldn't rely on it. And I already think Campbell's already helped them earn three points, and that's big until Anderson comes back. That's all you need. I don't think Jack Campbell's ever going to be a starter, but I think he can be a very effective backup. And I think he he looks like he's going to rise to the, the role. And if you can't do it in Toronto, you can't do it anywhere. Because in this market where I where I sit in, um, they will elevate you to the greatest player, or they will crush you to the worst player. Just ask Larry Murphy, which was unfair. Mm-hmm. There seems to be no no middle ground with with Leaf fans. They know their hockey, but they they have so much pent up frustration from half a decade of not winning it. Uh, sorry, half a century of not winning anything. So um, Campbell, he you know L.A. that was nice. Now it's like playing for the Dodgers now. He, all the attention's on you, right. and I think so far he's done pretty well. To fo- um, sorry, um, Clifford. can't remember the other dude's name. Clifford, Kyle Clifford. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I got to falling on the mind. Um, he, he's going to be a role player on the team, and he knows that. And uh, this was his favorite team growing up, all that stuff. Whatever. I don't care about that stuff. What can you do for me now? 
And um, I think he'll be a nice fit for a team that needs a bit of sandpaper. Um, I don't think this gets them the Stanley Cup, but it may help them win a playoff series. And in fact, more importantly, it may help them make the playoffs because they're in a fight right now with the Florida Panthers. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, you better hide out for saying they might not win them a Stanley Cup because, <laughs> like you said, it's cuppered bust in that town, uh, having been yeah. just so long, late 1950s, which is crazy. And I was there earlier this year for a couple of games and. And talking to people, I thought, boy, these people are just starved for it. I've never been in a market like that where everybody wants it so badly. And maybe it's the same way in, in Montreal. Maybe it's the same way in, in all the Canadian markets. But, boy, Toronto, they are just desperate for it. Um, let, let me ask you really quick about the Kings' perspective on this whole thing. They make that trade. Not a massive deal for them, but but Clifford was one of their Stanley Cup pieces. We know they're in the middle of a huge rebuild there. Why not go all in? You have Kopitar, oh, I you agree. have Dowdy. Why not? Oh, I agree. Look, Kopitar and Dowdy, I think Kopitar is a Hall um, Sorry, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's an L.A. Hall of Famer. He's a very good player. I think Drew Dowdy is a future Hall of Famer as a defenseman. I think Jonathan Quick you could make a case for. Uh, they're both. They're, all three have been dynamic players, Stanley Cup winners. They, they have nothing to answer for. They still want to play. They're still effective players. All three are probably, yeah, starting to go on the downside of the career, but that doesn't mean there's a long way down the mountain. They still got a lot of hockey to play. But when the Kings are good again, are they going to be in that window? I'm totally open to saying, guys, uh, you, you probably all got no movement and no trade clause. So you got to work with that. Guys, we're going to retire all your numbers after you three have been fantastic. You know, the face of the franchise used to be Marcel Dion and, you know, Charlie Simmer and Dave Taylor, and they're all great. But you three have usurped that. And, 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 you know, Dustin, Dustin Brown, all those guys, but it's time. We, we want to move you somewhere where you can help another team win and we need to come back. I'd be totally open to just doing it. And, and I think fans, they say fans won't, the the fickle fan or the casual fan may turn away, but not even the diehard fans, the fans are just sports fans who are into the Lakers and the Dodgers and whatever football team they want. uh, (laughs) My Rams and, uh, and the Kings. They understand that there's, teams are cyclical. It's difficult to stay up on top. The Dodgers, when, when that weird couple, that wonky couple on that team, they were bad for a long time. That's not the case anymore. So I don't mind as a fan if my team is bad for a while, as long as there is a plan. Now, having said that, you and I can point to the Buffalo Sabres as a team that there seems to be no plan. Nine straight years soon out of the playoffs. They're a team that, okay, and that's a really good hockey market, Buffalo, New York. It's one of the best in the world. And those fans know they're, they're hockey as much as anyone from Montreal, Toronto, or Minneapolis. They know it as well. And they're like, okay, yeah, we'll buy into this. What do you mean nothing's happening? And, and there's no guarantee when you do a rebuild that burn it down to the, the ground, you'll come back up. But I'm with you. I think it's time for the Kings to take that chance because with the team they got now, they're going to continue to finish uh, near last place in the West. And that just doesn't look good for me because they're a Stanley Cup champion now. They, yeah. They've got that now. It's in the blood. They know what it takes. And you remember when D. Lombardi was running things, it took a while. And King fans were getting impatient. They used to call us up, and we used to say, Peter and I, let it play itself out. You've got so many nice pieces. It will pay off. And it did.
Yeah, it absolutely did with two cups. And uh, I'm just wondering if they're going to be that team that holds on a little bit too long because it feels like it's getting there right now with Kopitar and Dowdy and also with Jonathan Quick, for that matter, who right now not quite the same goaltender that he was even a couple of years ago. Uh, no, voice no. here in his Mick Kern, by the way, hosted Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Let, let's stay on the Pacific for just a second, Mick, because it's been such a tremendous year in terms of competitive balance in that division. Essentially, everybody outside of the bottom three right now, the California teams have a legitimate chance to make the playoffs and we're seeing some teams at the top jockeying back and forth for position right now you've got Connor McDavid going to be gone the next couple of weeks with an injury for the Oilers and here is an opportunity you would think with McDavid out the California teams not involved the Golden Knights sort of being up and down on a roller coaster ride all season long where if you are the upstart Vancouver Canucks a team that has lots and lots of talent. If you were the Calgary Flames, even a team that we know uh, finished with the most points in the Western Conference last season, wound up losing in the first round of the playoffs, but still brought back most of that talent. Where if you're one of those two teams, maybe now is your opportunity to try to surge to the top. Uh, with your Vancouver specifically, you're looking for that winger to play with Bo Horvat. Is now the chance, and maybe it's a little bit premature in their rebuilding process, but looking at where they are in the standings and looking at the injuries I just mentioned, is now the time maybe to go all in here and try to make a big deal? I don't. Uh, everything you said makes sense, and watch it happen now. But I, if I'm running the Vancouver Canucks, who I think is the most exciting young team in hockey, and yes, I will say that, the most exciting young team in hockey, uh, I don't, because to me, they have arrived earlier than expected. I thought they'd be knocking on a wild card. And again, as I keep saying, when it all plays out, they may be in a wild card. They're, they're only four points from being out of the playoffs, yet as we speak, they're first in the Pacific with 67 points. So it's topsy turvy Vancouver, Edmonton, Vegas, Calgary, Arizona, those five. They can all end up in the playoffs, though Winnipeg from the Central has busted into that party. Right now, they're in the second wild card. I don't do that because, for me, this isn't the year for Vancouver. This is all gravy. This is great. This is great experience. Get in the playoffs. Get that experience. Let's just keep growing. Unless there's some sweetheart deal. I mean, I'm not stupid. Not that stupid. But I doubt that's going to happen. It's, it's not the old NHL where you, you can rip teams off anymore. And everyone knows what they're doing. Uh, fans don't always agree, but they do. I take my time. As for Edmonton, um, with the injury to McDavid to two to three weeks, and they'll examine it. He could miss up to 11 games. That's huge. Uh, this is now, you know, Drysdale's leading the league in scoring, McDavid's second. Two superstars. But how, and, and Drysdale hasn't necessarily played in McDavid's line recently, so I don't think that's going to deter his production. But as a whole, you lose one of the best players in the league. Yeah, that can't help but hurt you. And they're not as deep as Pittsburgh's been. So when Pittsburgh's lost, as you mentioned about 10 minutes ago, Malk and our cross, they were able to. They were able to fill it in as much as possible. Did, a, did an admirable job, yeah. both the GM and coach there, the team. I don't. Edmonton's not as deep, so we could see uh, precipitously a fall here from the Oilers and the other teams. I, I hate injuries, but that's part of sports. That's what they need to step up. And if I'm someone like Nashville, not in the same division but the same conference, I may be fighting for a wild card. They've been a disappointing team for me. Five and five of the last ten, uh, two game losing streak. They're only four points out. Like Nashville have not been playing what I expected. And there's a chance for me to get back. Every team in that West just went, huh? Okay. Yeah. All right, boys. You know, a surprising Chicago, a disappointing Minnesota. There's a whole bunch of teams. Calgary, Winnipeg. 
it's such a mess the West. I'm glad you mentioned it. It was a mess last year. It's a bigger mess this year, and it's I, I mean that in a wonderful sort of yeah, way. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's a great mess, right? It's a it's an awesome mess for every team or every fan, even if you're not in one of those markets and you get to look in and just watch as they try to figure yep. it all out right now. And, and that kind of goes back to what I said at the very top, Mick, which is, you know, if you're that one team and you're the one that's willing to make the move, I wonder if everybody else reacts to that. That's what's going to be fascinating to watch. Maybe. Maybe, but again, a lot of people have told me that, um, well, not just me, me as a hockey fan, because that's what I am first and foremost, but also when we've had guests on, that defense. If you've got defense right now, Winnipeg needs defense. Um, so many teams, that's just one that leaps to mind. Uh, defensemen are at a premium right now. You've got some extra guys, you might be able to get a King's Ransom for them. And everyone always wants secondary scoring. You could just, you never have to check that off. That's like a... That's like, that's an evergreen for yeah. every team wants secondary scoring. And by the way, none of this, as they say, grows on trees or they just go and get it. But defense can be had. It all depends how you value somebody. Um, yes, one team may do that. It's going to be curious to see. But again, are, this is my thing with the trade deadline. Um, trade deadline. The best, I think the best moves are the moves you don't make. Same also with July 1st. There's ridiculous trades have been made and, and ridiculous signings on July 1st, which is NHL free agency yeah. for people who don't know. So, I have to, I have to make sure in my mind that I can go deep in the playoffs. Deep in the playoffs is when, of course, two rounds. You're one of the last four teams. Can you honestly look at your lineup and go, with the addition of this guy, and we're going to sacrifice something, probably the future, can we end up as one of the final four hockey version? If I can do that, then I can justify that to my scouting staff. If I'm just doing it to win a playoff series, I don't think that's enough. And I do not want to sacrifice the future for one playoff win. Which is interesting because, uh, and not to go back to the Devils anymore, we've, I think we've already talked to, about them at nauseum, but you look at the trade that was made, oh gosh, was it two seasons ago? Yeah, the year the Devils made the playoffs kind of out of nowhere uh, where they get Michael Grabner before the deadline. And I remember Ray Shiro saying something to the effect of, you know what, we owed it to our fans to finally make the playoffs. It had been five years. And I was thinking to myself, no, you don't. You owe it to them to build a winning team, a team that really has a legitimate chance. And what happens in the first round, they get blown out by the Lightning. And Grabner leaves in free agency to go to Arizona. Arizona. So what was the point of that deal? Trading away any Oh, assets? it wasn't. He doesn't have that job anymore. Look, right. I didn't like what Columbus did last year. They yeah. also said, we owe it to our fans. And I've been there. That's a great arena. It's a great fan base. It's an underappreciated American city. It's beautiful. And, you know, um, other sports, college sports are big there. But the Blue Jackets matter. But they've never won a playoff series. So they held on to Panarin and they held on to uh, Bobrovsky. Mm-hmm. And both probably could have been could have almost got a small king's ransom for both as rentals on other teams, but they didn't want to. I think people kicked the tires. I don't totally agree that they didn't listen to offers. If Gretzky, if Gretzky can be traded, anyone can be traded uh, line. But they elected to hold on to them. They won that first playoff series in an upset, a major upset. But then they didn't go anywhere. Then they lost both of them. And I'm actually amazed that they're still in a playoff spot. As we speak, they're in the first wild card in the East. They are a contender. But I think how much stronger they'd be if they had had the pieces for that. Yeah, agreed, hundred percent. Elvis Merzlikens, that is the story yep. right now in Columbus. My Old God, you talk about coming out of nowhere to be great. A uh, couple more minutes with you, Mick. Uh, so I want to ask you some quick stuff, not trade deadline associated necessarily. Number one, St. Louis Blues trying to go back to back, as we know. They are doing such a tremendous job. And what impresses me most, they're doing this without Vlad Tarasenko. Essentially, the whole season after he had shoulder surgery. How impressed are you with what you're seeing out of them? Well, I, look, I'm biased here. When I grew up, I was a Montreal fan because of Ken Dryden. 
and my dad was a Habs fan, so you kind of picked that up from your dad. But the team I fell in love with were the St. Louis Blues. When I was a kid in the early 70s, Gary Unger, he had long hair, he scored 40 goals, he was cool. So I decided I was a St. Louis Blue fan. I had a team in the East, Montreal, a team in the West, St. Louis. So I'm totally biased here. I love the Blues. I was actually close to tears when they won the Cup in June. You know, I'm a man in my mid-50s, and I'm close to tears when the Blues finally win because I never thought I'd see it. And I was excited as I've ever been to anything because my teams don't win anymore. In fact, my teams move. So having said my bias, uh, I think we were all impressed with what the Blues did last year. This year, they sort of stayed the course. They kind of hit a bit of a flat spot right now. Three, five, and two in their past ten. Colorado's creeped up on them. Dallas is there, too. That's a central. still a great division. But I think the Blues are perfectly set up to go on another long run. But here's the thing, as you know, and this is the great thing about the NHL playoffs, and maybe this is what baseball is trying to do, is it's the old, unless you're at the bottom, you're the eighth-place team. Well, the Kings won a cup eighth-place team, but they, they, they took a while. They, they, they weren't really eighth-place. They were lazy in the regular season. But you really get in the playoffs now, and you know, anything can happen. No, the better teams tend to win. Let's get that clear. Cinderella's don't win the Stanley Cup. It just doesn't happen. But there are at least, we call them battleship teams, Peter Burst and I. There's six or seven or eight teams that are solid. And at any given point, any of those can win. Right now, I can make a case for the Blues, the Avalanche. I can make a case for the Capitals, the Bruins, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are back and have something to prove after last year's embarrassment, the Pittsburgh Penguins. I can make a case for any of those teams to win the Stanley Cup. So you're asking me the Blues? A way of saying it, they're just solid. And I think right now they hit a bit of a dry spot, and that's all right. Um, sometimes coaching, coaching staff like that because it keeps them humble. Look at Tampa. They didn't have, they didn't have any headwind last year. They get in the playoffs. They get killed. They get, they get swept. It's one of the biggest upsets in NHL history, and sometimes we don't talk enough about it. Yeah. And the Blues, I think, are just stay the course. They're Craig Berube. You take on uh, the persona of your head coach like in any sport. Yeah, we can do this. We're confident. It would not surprise me if they won too. But right now, the playoffs began today, uh, which is crazy, but we're getting there. They play Winnipeg, and you never know what you get with the Jets. Yeah. So could the Jets upset them? Sure they could. Folks, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes the NHL so fabulous is every year, it seems, we get this, where there could be a million teams that could win almost the entire league. Well, essentially, I'd say two-thirds of the league might get in the playoffs, and about half the league could legitimately win the cup once they get in. So it makes it so much fun. One last one for you, Mick, before we let you go, and we've been talking to Mick Curran, host of Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. What about Ovi? Does Ovi catch Gretzky? I've got to ask everybody this question at this point. You know... I never used to like Gretzky. He's only two years older than me. I, as a kid, I got so sick of hearing about him. I had Gretzky overload. So I became a Mario Lemieux fan because he was like the anti-Gretzky, the number upside down. I was a huge Lemieux fan. But as time came on, it was like some people with Crosby. I came to realize, why am I hating this guy? He's so freaking good. Wayne Gretzky is so good. Uh, I watched Bobby Orr. I watched, I didn't watch Gordie Howe, WHA. So I came to appreciate the sublime talent that Wayne Gretzky is, who I think is the greatest goal scorer, because, folks, he has the most. Don't talk to people about pure goal scoring. He has the most goals. Hence, you are the greatest goal scorer. Ovi has been so much fun to watch from coming into the league in 05, 06. Um, yeah, I kind of hope he does it. Can he? Sure. Will he? He's never had a real major injury. Poor Sidney Crosby, Not don't cry for him. He's had a great career, but he's had concussions and injuries, and he battles through it, but he, his, his numbers would be much better, but he's had the injuries. Um, Ovechkin hasn't. So the only fly in the ointment is if one of those injuries hits you, and you know this every day you get out of bed. As you get older, it's tougher and tougher, mm -hmm. even if you're a prime athlete. I hope he does. It's good for the game, 
it seemed unassailable when he set the record, Gretzky, the 894. Like, no one would ever reach it. The fact that somebody can, in a day and age where it's not uh, happy-go-lucky scoring, it's not the dead puck era of the mid-90s, but it's not the, the 70s and 80s and, and early 90s, I think it's a testament to how great Ovechkin is. And, folks, enjoy these guys while you're watching the Ovechkins and the Crosby because once they're gone, you're going to say, man, I miss those guys. Yeah, the, so I hope he does. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, yes, he does by the slimmest of margins. Which is incredible. If he can even get close. And like you said, nobody thought we'd even be talking about someone approaching yeah. Gretzky. It's really been incredible. And I'm with you. I, I hope he does it because it has been, uh, it's been fun to watch. And I know fans of the Pittsburgh Penguins won't agree with this specifically, but I actually find the guy to be really likable. I think he's great for the game. Uh, I love the way he plays the game on the ice because he'll hit you. Yeah, he doesn't play a whole lot of defense, but who cares? He scores a ton he's of goals. He's got the puck. He's got the puck If you've got the puck, that's defense. That's yeah. right. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And, and he's not afraid to hit you. I like the guys that'll hit no. you and they'll score on you. And that's why I've always loved watching Ovi. And again, I get it. If you're a Penguin fan, you're listening to this, you're thinking, no, I hate that guy. But, uh, but for well, me, I, I just, you know what? I don't know about that anymore. Cause we used to take phone calls early on. Cause they came in the league the same time, the same, it was the same season. We came on the air and in, in November 05, we came on the air a month after. Mm-hmm. So we sort of associate Ovechkin across with our channel. Um, they're kind of the poster child. We watched their evolution. And there was a lot of crybaby Crosby, and there was truth to that, like Gretzky. He did whine a lot. I mean, there's no denying that. And the league made him his, their, their, their face of the franchise. But over time, we've noticed when we opened the phone, there's been an appreciation for Crosby from even Capital fans and other fans. And I think Ovechkin, even Penguin fans, know he's a dynamic goal scorer. You can boo him and cheer against him, but I think hockey fans are savvy enough to realize when they're watching two generational talents. Yep, and that's what we've been treated to here, uh, like you said, since 2005. Mick, it's been awesome. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate all the time. Great conversation, a lot of fun. Hopefully we can do it again, maybe come playoff time. Yeah, go Blues, anytime. Absolutely. That's the great Mick Curran, hosted Sirius XM NHL Network Radio's Under Review. You can catch him alongside Peter Burst every weekday. Uh, it's 8 to 10 a.m. Pacific time and also uh, 11 to 1. I'm getting all my time straight in my head. 11 to 1, that's Eastern time. Again, it's on Channel 91 on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. This is the Rink Rat Show. We're back after this. Are you a mouse or a man? As a matter of fact, No. We're neither. We've got a rat. Rob Brinder is the Rink Rat on Lightning Power Play. Welcome back to the Rink Rat Show. I'm Rob Brender. The Vegas Golden Knights have been a model organization since their inception in 2017. They made history when they went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first season. They followed it up with another playoff appearance last year, losing a hard-fought seven-game first-round series to the Sharks, a series that they just as easily could have won and some would say had taken from them on a terrible call by the officials. This season, the Knights got off to a bit of an uneven start and decided to part ways with their head coach, Gerard Gallant, on the heels of a four-game game losing streak in mid-January, replacing him with Peter DeBoer, who had also just been fired by the Sharks about a month prior. Since that time, the team has played fairly well and are right in the mix at the top of the pack in an incredibly tight Pacific division. Now the question becomes, can Vegas find a way to get back into the tournament for a third consecutive year? Joining us to get caught up on everything going on in Vegas is their fantastic TV studio analyst. He's also the team's VP of Hockey Programming. A former NHL goaltender spent five years in the league with the Kings, Red Wings, and Sabres. It's the great Darren Elliott. Darren, how are you? Just fine, Rob. That's quite an introduction. 
Well, you know what? You deserve it. The team deserves it. With the way that they've played over the last three years, it's really been something remarkable. And you watch them from the outside, and obviously everybody was bowled over by the way they were able to make the Stanley Cup Finals in their first season. Sure. And at that time, you were in Detroit, so you, like me, mm-hmm. were watching from the outside and probably had immense respect for what you saw and what they were able to accomplish that first year. But then to follow it up, and have a tremendous second season, and as I just mentioned a little while ago, just as easily could have won that first-round playoff series over the Sharks and then wind up right back in the mix again this year. I think, Darren, and again, with your first year now with this team, you have to have an even greater appreciation of what they've been able to accomplish now as a member of the organization. Very much so. I got here just about exactly a year ago. I came here from the Red Wings organization, um, and I, I was immediately taken by the, the love affair, and I'll call it that, between the fans and the team and the reciprocal nature of that. I, I've never seen anything like it. And my, my, my journeys have taken me from the Kings, as you mentioned, uh, to the Ducks when they were mighty, uh, the Atlanta Thrashers nearly departed. So I've seen uh, successes and failures and ups and downs of what we used to call non-traditional hockey markets. And with this market, obviously they were starving for professional sports. They already had mm-hmm. a minor league baseball team in town, a AAA affiliate, which has been there for years. It was the 51s, and I don't know what they call themselves now. It may still the be the same now. There you go. Okay, and they've actually moved out of town. They're no longer in North Vegas. They were in uh, Cashman Field, if I recall, yep. for a long time, and now they're somewhere outside of town. But the yeah, team, they're, uh, the, they're, right, they're right behind City National Arena. Uh, where oh, is that Knights. right? Yeah, it's all up there in Summerlin and beautiful new ballpark uh, they built last year. Yeah, so it's obviously a town that was screaming out, please give us professional sports. And now we're going to see the Raiders move there starting next season with an incredible new stadium that's being built just off the 15. And the the Knights were the first one, obviously, to get there and and establish that pro sports identity. And as you said, you you see the embracing of the fan base. Were you a little bit surprised when you got there at how many fans were truly into hockey, considering, forget the fact that it's just not traditional as far as a hockey market goes, but you're in a warm-weather city in a town that knew essentially very little about hockey, that had some minor league hockey there over the years, uh, but mm-hmm. but really embracing this team from the very get-go, that had to be something almost astounding for you, I would think. It, it really was, and, and still continues to to uh, amaze me and, and kind of drive me every day, uh, trying to put together the youth program's that will facilitate uh, the growth and the explosion of the sport in terms of participation here in Nevada. Uh, the, the other thing about it is, you know, when I talk about being a love affair, um, the team has embraced the fans. And the fans aren't, it's not like it's a, a, a knowledgeable fan base overall, but it doesn't have to be because they've made it Vegas uh, style at the uh, arena, the in arena experience. And the fans love the environment they are part of the environment um in town uh, all the all the bars it's one of the weirdest things that stands out to me when the game's on it sounds full there's no music playing in the background and just the game's on it's everybody wow. it, it's and i don't know how that happens i don't how it's it spread around the valley but that's the norm the game comes on music goes off in every bar and boom they're they're watching sound full and people are cheering so it's it's really been that next level um, in, in terms of what they had hoped for, what they would anticipated, and, and where it is and where it's going. 
Yeah, really amazing stuff uh, from a, a market that nobody thought necessarily would support hockey to all of a sudden they're in the league and now considered one of the top markets in the league where almost yep. everybody would want to play. And it's not just because of the weather. Uh, we're talking to Darren <laughs> Elliott, former NHL goaltender, and now works for the Vegas Golden Knights doing pregame, postgame analyst work and also VP of hockey programming. He's working their youth programs and working on the new arena that they're building right now uh, for their practice facility. When it comes, before we get to this team really quick, Darren, when it comes to the youth participation, I remember hearing interviews with Austin Matthews where he talked about growing up in Phoenix and how he never would have gotten involved in hockey at all if it wasn't for a team moving to the area, of course, with the Arizona Coyotes. Right. Same thing I would wonder in Vegas. Are, are you seeing more participation, more signups from younger kids wanting to play hockey? And maybe it isn't even necessarily directly because of the Golden Knights, but you'd imagine having a team in town would definitely help with that. It's directly because of the Golden Knights. Was <laughs> it? Okay. And, and, you know, it really is. I mean, there are skating programs in other ways, um, but they built City National Arena, uh, the home of the Vegas Golden Knights. It's their practice facilities, corporate offices. They really do it Vegas style. The Golden Knights only go down in the strip on game day just to perform. All the rest of the business is done at City National Arena. Uh, Bill Foley, uh, and I think, uh, I think the NHL has gotten much better at this overall over the last 20 years. When they started with uh, the expansion under Commissioner Bettman, they would put a team in a market and hope that they'd be successful and that there'd be some, you know, some kind of traction gained over time. Uh, but now they realize you have to build facilities, you have to build the infrastructure, not just for the kids of today, but your fans of the future. Uh, here in Vegas, our numbers right now, running the state program for this season is approaching 5,000. That's for this wow. season. And, and, yeah, so it, it's astounding because I've run these kinds of programs, uh, the Little Knights program, the NHL Learn to Play, all of those things go into it. We've had two or th- over 2,000 kids in our Little Knights program this year alone. So the, the, the burgeoning of, of, of the game um, has been fueled by the, you know, the Golden Knights here um, in the desert. But the challenge for me and the excitement is, okay, what do you do with all these kids that came to the game at six years old? And now they're turning nine. Okay, we have to build leagues. We have to have, you know, keep the competition local amongst the ranks. And as I said, Bill Foley um, absolutely put the money in here. And now we're building a facility in Henderson. And just for your listening audience, Rob, that's about equal distance, 20 minutes. Um, this city nationally is 20 minutes west of the Strip. And this will be 20 minutes east of the Strip. So geographically as well thought out as well. Yeah, sounds like it. And, you know, you think about, again, going back to the idea of if you didn't have teams in these kind of markets, all the talent that we're not just only right. seeing now come from those towns, but that we're going to see over the next two knows how many years, oh. we never probably would have had them break into the NHL if it wasn't for teams moving to these types of towns, which is uh, Ab- really astounding. Absolutely. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is very, very cool. We're talking to Darren Elliott, former NHL goaltender, now works for the Vegas Golden Knights. Let's get into this team a little bit, Darren. Obviously, you pay a ton of attention to everything going on with them (laughs) on and off the ice. Let's get to the big news that happened earlier this season with the team deciding to move on from Gerard Gallant. It wasn't all that long ago now, as a matter of fact, about a month ago. Obviously, a ton of success for him the first couple of years with the organization. Got off to that uneven start that I mentioned at the top this season. Why do you think they decided now was the time they needed to go in a different direction? I just think that the management, uh, President uh, George McPhee and General Manager Kelly McCrimmon, they're not the kind of guys to make a snap decision, knee-jerk reaction. They saw something slipping over time 
and they had higher expectations. Both go together, right? When they did what they did in the first year, they were the misfits, and nobody could believe it because it had never been done before. An expansion team going to the final. Then you have another solid season. Then you go out, get off to a, 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 an uneven start, as you called it, Rob, but you have expectations to do better. Um, and then the messaging or whatever. Um, I think Mark Stone inadvertently probably said it best after they lost that fourth game in their fourth game losing streak. He said, we're stale. And, you know, he didn't mean it to be damning of the coach specifically because the players love playing for Gerard Gallant. Good man, good coach. But as a collective group, they all seem to just not be getting to the game that everyone expected. Um, whether they will or not over time, they're still they're playing well under Pete, another very, um, very, very good NHL coach, Pete DeBoer. But, it, you know, time remains. Can they pull it all together? And, and that was the reason the decision was made. And that's still, we have about 25 games left to find out if it was the right decision, at least in the short term. And you've been in NHL rooms, as I mentioned. You played in the league oh, yeah. for five different years. Would you have been, even if you liked the coach, would you yeah. have thought, you know what, give us some time, or would you have been on the opposite side and thought, you know what, it is time to move on. We need a different voice. Would it upset you as a player moving on from a guy who you like that much? It it, it would upset me, and it did upset me. I, my first NHL coach was Pat Quinn, and he got suspended uh, in the, in the mid eighties, uh, for tampering because he'd already talked to Vancouver, about becoming the GM the following year, um, I was devastated. Cause I, I loved Pat Quinn as a coach and as a man. Um, and I didn't really handle it that well, <laughs> to be honest with you as a marginal player. Um, so I think there were some guys that, that were like, you know what, that you know, they took it very, very personally because they had, uh, real strong ties and feelings for, for, uh, Gerard Gallant. Um, but then you're a pro and you got to get moving on and the, and the better ones go quicker and all those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's always a little bit of a risk when you make a, a change like that of a popular coach, but you squarely then by doing that, put the onus on the players in the locker room that this isn't good enough. Yeah, and we've actually seen it pay off in a couple of different spots around the league this year with yes. uh, Toronto moving on from their coach, and now you wind up uh, maybe more accountability on the players, and guess what? They're all playing at a higher level, and as you said, well, we're seeing it, that in know, Vegas too. Yeah, well, you think about the copycat nature of the league, um, and you just have to look at the St. Louis Blues last year. Uh, they make a coaching change midseason, and they win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And, it's not, and we've seen it many, many times. I mean, New Jersey Devils, I don't know who Lemorellis would change coaches every third year right before the playoffs, and it worked. And in Pittsburgh, it's worked a couple of different times. So it, there, there are some precedent out there um, for, for that kind of, okay, this is, this is what has to happen to get the results that we anticipated. We're talking to Darren Elliott. Let's get into Peter DeBoer for a second because he comes over from San Jose, a team that obviously Vegas is very familiar with. They know the type of operation (laughs) he runs. They've gotten to see it not just up close in the division, but also in the postseason last year. One thing we are seeing, and we've seen now for a number of years around the league, Darren, is a lot of recycling of coaches that we're not getting a ton of fresh new blood, but rather one coach gets fired and all of a sudden he moves to another spot. And I'm not saying that to suggest that you can't have success in one place just because you didn't have it in another. But with that said, would Mm -hmm. you personally like to see a little bit more new blood? Were you a little surprised that that the Golden Knights went with a guy who had already been in the league and had just been fired? 
not not in this instance because it, 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 whether you want to believe it or not, this is a veteran team from from its makeup. If you look at Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Riley Smith, Jonathan Marshall, so these are like players: Paul Stasny, uh, Mark Andre Fleury. This is a veteran team, even though it's it's a new franchise. Um, and, and you know, lots of times that's the old way it used to be, right? Uh, when they did expansion in the early '70s and and the, what they call the original expansion, when the, the league expanded from six to twelve in 1967-68, it was always older players getting an extension on their careers. Well, the guys I just mentioned are in the primes of their careers, but they're veteran players. So, you know, from that standpoint, to bring in a young coach, I think would be very difficult for that young coach to, to establish and find his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that's something that's, um, to me, um, if you have a young coach, he has to kind of match up with where his team is in their maturation. At least that's how I would look at it if I was running a team. So to me, I'm not surprised they went with a veteran coach. Surprised that they went with one of their rivals, <laughs> the San Jose Sharks, uh, and beat the board after what happened uh, last year in particular uh, in the postseason. That uh, that made for some good good storylines and some great lines. Beat the board saying it's like you're, you're meeting a, a former girlfriend where it didn't end well, and yeah. the awkwardness at first when he walked into the room. So so he had a real good quip about it, and they had a few laughs about it, and then they got on to business. I feel like I want to spin it into the old saying of you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And, and he was the enemy and you brought him in and he knows your team and it's worked out so far. Let's talk about some of the players individually here, Darren, yeah. because they've been fascinating for me. And let's start in goal where you obviously have a specialty. Marc-Andre Fleury, sure. now 35 years old. Uh, numbers a little bit down so far this season from what yeah. we've seen over the past couple of years since he went to Vegas. As a matter of fact, the numbers look a lot more like they did his final year in Pittsburgh before they ultimately decided to move on and go with Matt Murray. What's the cause of that? Do you think it's an age thing? Do you think he's still at the top of his game and just maybe got off to a rough start? What do you think's going on with Marc-Andre? Well, he actually carried this team through the rock. He, he was their best player by far through the first two months. Um, his father passing away, um, I, I can't measure it uh, in terms of how it impacted him, but he hasn't been the same goaltenders since that happened he's had moments but the consistency has not been there um since that inevitability uh, of his, his father passing he missed about 18 days malcolm suban stepped into the breach and, and played his best goal as a national hockey league netminder and since that time because of the standing situation they're trying to find you know get flurry to find his game again suban has had a harder time coming up with starts um, and then that has made it difficult for him to find any kind of rhythm. So they haven't been good enough in goal. I don't think it's an age thing with Marc-Andre Fleury. I do think it's a balance uh, in terms of them finding the right mix um, in terms of getting him starts and getting Malcolm Subban starts. But now that there are 25 games left and you've got to have a push for the playoffs alone, never mind trying to win the division, um, they, they can't give away points. Um, You'd like to have a better cushion. They expected to have more of a cushion. They don't have that right now. So I don't think it's about uh, uh, age right now with Marc-Andre Fleury, but he doesn't have his confidence and his swagger uh, that he has when he's playing his best. 
Yeah, that's become a lot more prevalent, by the way, around the league over the last few years where you have two goaltenders getting much more of an even mix. Not necessarily 50-50, but we're seeing a lot of 60-40 around the league, and especially with older goaltenders, guys who were in their mid-30s, much more so than when you were playing goal in in the 80s and early 90s. You're seeing guys that were the number ones play, what, 70 games back then, 60-plus games, and now they're getting you know more like 40 to 50. Do you like it better this way? Well, I think with, with the way the league has gone and it's so competitive, um, there are no easy nights, quote-unquote, if there ever is such a thing for a netminder. <laughs> There's yeah. no sure thing anymore. Um, the, the bottom teams, uh, save for a couple, Detroit's having you know an atrocious season. But, but the top team in the league, all the way down to, say, the 28th team in the league, there's very little difference. Um, so I, I, I understand why, you know, to me, the perfect – the perfect balance is 54, 28 um, to me, um, you know, that two out of three for your starter. So that means that your backup plays once a week, um, you know, just using averages that keeps everybody in the rhythm and the flow. Um, and, and I think everybody starts out that way. Um, not, not everybody, because there's some guys who are workhorses, but for the most part, if you could come up with that and not give up anything in terms of your ability to, to earn points, uh, that's the ideal situation. In the 80s, we used to get appearances because everybody got pulled because the scoring was 8-6 so often. Mm, so, yeah. so we got appearances, <laughs> but we didn't get starts, you know, um, if you were the backup yeah. necessarily. And the other t- thing was there was a, an ability back, it, way back in those days, that the disparity between the top and bottom was so severe, sometimes they would just throw the backup in and go, well, if we get a point or two out of this, it'll be because he plays great. And we, but at the, ma- the main reason is we're resting uh, our starter. I don't think we're, other than a very few teams, um, can they say, you know what, we're going to rest our starter just for the sake of resting them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The competitive balance makes that almost impossible. Yeah. And boy, the league has, it just exactly. brings to mind how much the league has changed over the last 30 years. It's really a sure. very yeah. different league. Uh, let's ask, uh, I want to ask you about Max Patcher ready next because yeah. we're talking about a guy who had a very rough time in his exit from Montreal. Uh, there was a lot of weight on his shoulders as the captain of that team. He faced a ton of scrutiny over the last couple of years there. And maybe as a direct result, his numbers definitely suffered on the ice. This was a very nice offensive player over the bulk of his time in Montreal and then all of a sudden prior to that trade in 2017-18 in the offseason he just wasn't the same guy over the the previous two years and I remember him talking in media scrums various times about how his family is being affected by everything. He, his kids are hearing things in schools in Montreal. Your dad's not good enough and he's going to get traded and so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden the trade happens. And it wasn't a tremendous offensive first season for him in Vegas a season ago. But all of a sudden this year, boy, has he ever picked it up. And now he's starting to look more like the guy, Darren, that we saw, again, the bulk of his time in Montreal. In your opinion, is it really just about that comfort level for Max and being able to settle in in a new market? I, I, I think so. The settling in is, is a big part of it. Um, you know, the uncomfortable exit, as you mentioned. Uh, comfortable coming here, but, but you know, really uncomfortable because he'd never played for another team before. So, yeah, so there's some adjustment there. Uh, he did score 20 goals, but as you mentioned, um, different. He didn't even have 200 shots on goal. He had an injury. As well, that's the one thing that we often is overlooked. The 2017, 18, and 18, 19 season, he didn't even play uh, 70 games in, in either one of those seasons. Um, he's been healthy again. Uh, I saw him around City National Arena working out all, you know, all summer. 
he put in the time, and all of a sudden he's already had 250 shots on goal. He was always a shooter first. He hasn't had that kind of you know offensive production or looks, if you will, um, since that first that last healthy season when he scored 35 goals in Montreal back in 2016. So I think there's some reasons. Um, they sound like excuses sometimes, but uh, sometimes real life uh, impacts your ability to, to, to be at your best. And, and this season, uh, Max Pacioretty has been at his best. Yeah, he really shows it on the ice. We're talking to Darren Elliott, now works for the Vegas Golden Knights, does pregame, postgame hosting with them. Also, many other things on and off the ice uh, with the club and obviously five years in the NHL as a goaltender. I, I want to ask you about Mark Stone also because we know how great this guy is. There's a reason that they wound up giving up as much as they did when they acquired him in trade, uh, the trade over from Ottawa. Yeah. He's clearly become a, a an even better player, I think, in Vegas. Is he being embraced by the fans as maybe their favorite at this point? Well, he, 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 yes, and I'll say it for the, the very reason. I didn't know he was this good. I've been in the game, you know, my whole life. And you see Mark Stone, a oh, nice player in Ottawa. Oh, he's kind of a funky-looking skater, and, you know, he's kind of awkward-looking. It's like, but he always has the puck. And then you watch him every day. That That's what, I, you know, what I'm driving at is he's the kind of player you appreciate way more by seeing him every single day day and uh, that means a practice rink uh, every game he's just a competitor smart hockey player you know just ridiculous sick hands sick mitts as the kids say mm-hmm. um you know he he just makes your team better and he competes um you know off the charts so so when your best player competes like that and has that kind of drive um and unselfishness uh you can't help but be a, a better team and mark stone is is that kind of player and yeah. uh they did their homework. You know, Kelly McCrimmon knew him very, very well, all going back to junior. Um, and, and there's kind of a, you know, kind of a personal uh, profile of the kind of players and kind of people uh, this team wants on their team. And Mark Stone uh, is a leading example of that. He's like the ultimate glue guy, isn't he? A glue guy with talent. He really is. Like a, uh, almost like a Kachuk, <laughs> right? You look at the Kachuks, what yeah. Matthew and Brady are doing, that type of player, right? He, he is. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't spend as much time irritating them, uh, the opponents. Uh, he might. They might be irritated because he, with his stickless and his his uh, thievery in, in terms of takeaways, um, but but not. Uh, doesn't do a lot of the face wash and stuff like that. But not not a, not opposed to it. <laughs> He's yeah, always right. in the trenches. Uh, just a great uh, great player. And as I said, one of those guys that you know, just like a Kachuk uh, that you mentioned. Um, the brothers, you appreciate them more when you get to watch them all the time. Certainly. Just a couple more minutes here with Darren Elliott. I want to ask you about William Carlson next because Carlson, we know the type of season he had in 17-18, yeah. first year with Vegas, 43 goals, down to 24 last season, so far only 10 this year, and I know he's been battling a finger injury. Has that been yeah. really the, at the crux of the issue with him? No, no not really. Uh, you know, he's uh, scheduled uh, you know, to, to be back in the lineup here soon. Um, he hasn't had as much, um, I wouldn't say he hasn't driven offense as much, but I think, you know, he hasn't had as many offensive looks. Um, if you look at a guy with 10 goals and he's taken, uh, just a hundred shots on goal, that's about right. You know, that, that's, that's almost 10%, you know, he's right around 10% in terms of shooting percentage. Um, he, he plays a, a real consistent game, uh, all over the ice. You know, was he a 40 goal scorer? He did it once so he can say he was. Um, is he one that you can expect that kind of production all the time? Probably not. I would say that number of that 20-ish, 
20 to 25 is, is more of a realistic number, but he does so many things well for this team. Um, so, you know, that first year, everybody had some ex- explosiveness to their seasons. Um, they, they were the misfits. They were, had things to prove, not only to themselves, but uh, to a lot of other people. And, and that really was a groundswell for, for a lot of players, uh, including William Carlson. Like watching him play, I, I would be stunned if he ever scores 40 again, but I would not be that surprised if he sc- doesn't score at a pace of, you know, that uh, – you know, half a goal a game, so, so or, you know, a quarter goal a game, where he's a twenty-plus goal scorer, not a half a goal a game guy. Yeah, that was one of those random. This guy came out of nowhere <laughs> and uh, forty-three goals. Holy cow! Uh, nobody expected it all, and it's turned into some pretty nice money for him on the tail end. Yeah, yeah, and and he, the other thing that I didn't know about him is how good he is. You know, the whole the, what we call nowadays a two hundred foot player. Um, he, he's just a really smart hardworking player in all facets of the game, kills penalties brilliantly, uh, probably as, as good a dynamic pair, Riley Smith um, and William Carlson killing penalties as I've seen in a long, long time. Um, and, and, and so, again, there's value there as a player that, that goes beyond just scoring goals, which you don't want to ever underestimate because that's, that's what the game's all about, scoring goals. Absolutely. One about the uh, defensive core. I'm so impressed every time I watch Shea Theodore, now in his fourth season with the team, going to shatter all of his previous career highs in points, assist goals. I mean, he's really having a nice offensive season from the blue line. Only 24, and Darren, correct me if I'm wrong, really looks like he's coming into his own. He absolutely is. Overcame injury, uh, illness, um, and, and so I had a really slow start. Missed all of training camp. I got into one preseason game. Um and he's, you know, he has 37 points in 57 games. That's a solid number in its own right. But you have to realize that he, he had like three points in the first 15 games. Um, as I said, he, he, that was his training camp. Um, he is absolutely um, everything they thought uh, he was going to be when, when they got him from, uh, from Anaheim. And he, the, the sky's the limit. As you mentioned, just 24 years of age, uh, quarterbacks apart, plays in all situations, all those kinds of things. Um, he's fantastic to watch, and uh, he really is the guy that makes it go from there. From the from an engine from the blue line, Shea Theodore is it for the Golden Knights. Most certainly. Let, let me ask you one really quickly about the trade deadline, which yeah. is upcoming. I know Vegas is sort of at the point, and correct me if I'm wrong again, if they're capped out, but I think they were pretty close to the top of the cap. Would it have to be a one-in, one-out type scenario if they're to make a deal? And are they trying to be active, do you think, before the deadline? Yeah, I think they're they're looking at specific needs. I mean, they have a lot of similar type players, both on the blue line and in their bottom six. So if you can, you know, find a, a different type player that can fit into those roles and make you better, um, I think they would be active there for sure. And and as far as the cap goes, are they pretty close to the top? Yeah, they're 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 uh, they knew they'd be there this year from that standpoint. Um, but I think they've managed it well enough where you know with that short run if you will, in terms of what it, how it impacts your cap. Um, you're only talking when the trade deadline around 20 games. Um, it, it changes uh, the ability to make moves that might not be able to make at the beginning of the season.
Yeah, fair enough. All right, one last one for you, Darren, before I let you go. I, I want to ask you yep. about your career. So you obviously played in the league, as we've <laughs> talked about here a number of times. You go to Detroit, back where you played, as a matter of fact, in the middle of your career, yeah. and now you wind up moving to Vegas. Uh, I know that the move wasn't necessarily based around any particular broadcast desire, but right. uh, when it comes to just location and happiness and moving around the league to a different market from a traditional market, an original six, to where you are now, how has the whole transition been? It's been great. My, my, just coming up on my one-year anniversary out here, it, it's been nothing but exciting. It's what I came for, uh, both uh, the NHL, uh, seeing how, an, how a non-traditional market can explode. Um, because as I said, I, I tell people I didn't set out to get my doctorate degree in non-traditional hockey markets, but I played for the Kings when they were the only warm-weather team in the league. I worked for the Ducks when they were mighty. Uh, I was there the entire uh, existence of the Atlanta Thrashers. Uh, then I went to Detroit, back to Detroit, back home, if you will, um, having grown up in Windsor, on the other side of Canada, the other side of the river. Um, and so this was, you know, it's a kind of rewarding to see because I've seen so many things come close to failure. Uh, Atlanta Thrashers and out and out uh, disappointment when you have to relocate. Um, we did a lot of good things in the, from a youth hockey standpoint, a lot of things that have really carried forward in a lot of markets that, that we were kind of pioneers of there, but it still feels like a failure when you go to a market and, and the team ends up relocating. So to see what they've done here in Vegas, to be a part of it, even though I wasn't here from the inception, uh, couldn't be happier. Darren, it's been a pleasure to have you. I really do appreciate the time, all the information on the team. Thank you for doing this, and enjoy all your time in Vegas. I'm sure it's not a bad place to live. That is the great Darren Elliott. Thanks again for the time. This is the Rink Rat Show. We'll see you next week.